0: Well, again, good morning. My name is George Davis. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And as you are doing that, I want you to do a thought experiment with me for a moment, okay? Here's the thought experiment. Tomorrow, whenever you pick up the mail, whatever that looks like for you, um, you go to the mailbox, whatever that looks like for you, and include it in your mail Tomorrow. It's a large postcard, and on one side of the postcard, it has a picture like this, Myrtle Beach, and on the other side of the postcard is the text, which has your name, and it says, congratulations, you've qualified for an all-expense-paid weekend to Myrtle Beach. Then there's some smaller print. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be exciting if that actually happened to you tomorrow? But put yourself in this little scenario for a moment. What's the first thought that crosses your mind? Scam. Okay. Some of you have gotten these postcards before. Uh, No, I think isn't the first thing that's going to cross your mind. What's the catch? In my case, if this happened to me tomorrow, I kid you not, my first thought is timeshare presentation. And the reason I say that is I've actually had some friends who kind of went through this recently, and they got the presentation. It wasn't a positive experience. Now, why would we be skeptical? Why, why would we kind of... <laughs> why would we respond by saying... What's going on here? Or what's the catch? Well, I think we would be skeptical for this reason. We know how life works, right? People, companies, they don't just give amazing stuff away for free. That's just not how life works. You've got to work for what you get. You work hard, you develop discipline, you develop skills, you learn to to do your job well. Maybe over time, you'll have opportunities to advance in your work and, and receive greater responsibility. And as you do that, over time, you receive the rewards for your labor. Right? That's how the world works. For those of you who are parents, right, you're getting your kids ready to go back to school and that's, you're instilling in them, hey, this is why this is important, right? I want you to do your best this year. Apply themselves. And interestingly, even as this, it's kind of just the way we feel that life works. This isn't unique to us in modern America. I think you, you see similar values, similar themes at work in the ancient world. Let me, let me take you to the ancient city of Ephesus, It's a place we read about in the New Testament. It's a place that uh, many key figures in the New Testament visit. And what you're looking at is you're looking at one of the main streets in the ancient city of Ephesus. This street connected the upper city, which included kind of the civic governmental buildings. It connected that upper city to lower parts of the city, which is the way you would get to the harbor area, to the major commercial areas, even the entertainment area and the major theater that's a part of Ephesus. So this, this was a heavily trafficked road. And undoubtedly, when we read about Ephesus and certain people in Ephesus in the New Testament, people like Paul, those people traveled this road. And what I want you to notice, I want you to notice on the right hand of the side, on the right side of the road, you see all these pedestals? Now what were the pedestals for? Well, they were for statues. Let me just show you one. They were for statues of prominent citizens who had achieved You see, in the Roman world, in the ancient world, a fundamental value was the pursuit of achievement and the pursuit of honor that went with that achievement. And when you achieve certain things, particularly things that might be beneficial to the community, you got a statue. That was true in Ephesus. It was true in other other places as well. So every time you walk down this busy street, every time Paul walked down this busy street, what is being reinforced are these underlying values that were prominent in that culture. Work hard, achieve, receive the rewards of your achievement. That's the world Paul grew up in. Yet, of course, something happened That transformed his approach to life. What happened was he encountered Jesus. He came face to face with the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, he discovered you know what? There is actually a deeper reality at work. And that deeper reality is the reality of God's grace. Now, obviously, we're kind of gearing up for this next academic year, and you're doing that, many of you, in your own households. And and as we kind of prepare for this new year, uh, what we're doing is we're taking several weeks to unpack this important theme, this theme of grace. And, of course, for the Apostle Paul, as well as other New Testament writers, as they came to grips with this theme of grace in their own lives, it becomes an important part of their writings. And whether you realize it or not, grace is really, it's really central to understanding Christianity. It's central to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're here, you're joining us online, it's like, well, I've had these issues with church and, or that, and I, I get maybe at times church is complicated. I acknowledge all of that. But if you're willing to explore Christianity, my invitation to you is understand the reality of God's grace. So last week we started talking about God's grace and and just kind of a simple working definition was this idea that grace is God's goodness in action. And as we talked about grace, I said there are really three dimensions of grace that I want you to see over the next couple of weeks. And, And those are these, that grace is radical it's relational and it's restorative. Last week, we talked some about the fact that, that grace is radical. And as we saw, right, God's radical grace is ultimately manifested through the work of Jesus Christ. And through that work, God's grace foundationally reveals our deepest need. It exposes us. It reveals our sin, our brokenness. But not only does it reveal our deepest need, it provides a a solution that goes to the very core of who we are. That's why Christ died. He died on our behalf so that we could experience his forgiveness, his new life, his wholeness and transformation. That's the radical nature of God's grace. It really drills down to the very foundation of who we are. But as as you see the radical nature of grace, you also need to see that grace, grace is relational. To receive God's grace is to be brought into a new relationship a new relationship with God and and a new relationship with others. To show you what I mean, let me now kind of bring your attention just to the opening couple of verses of Romans chapter 5, kind of to see this relational dimension of grace. Let's look at these opening verses of Romans 5. Now you need to understand up to this point, Paul has really, he's taken time to unpack really the radical nature of what God is doing, the radical nature of God's grace in providing Jesus Christ and what the work of Jesus Christ has done for us. So he's unpacked that in the opening four chapters. And then we get to chapter five and he says, therefore, right, in light of what I've already been talking about. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. And again, that's what he's been talking about in the opening chapters. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, as you look at this passage, let's just just pay attention to a couple of the details for a moment. First of all, uh, notice, notice that word access, right? Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. I've got to tell you, when, when I read that, my mind actually goes back to a personal experience in my late 20s. I was living in Louisville, Kentucky, and it's the beginning of May. It's time for the Kentucky Derby. And on that Saturday, I actually went to the Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs with a group of college students, and we were all going together. We were going to sell newspapers to raise money for their campus ministry. Now, because we were technically vendors for the day, we actually got into Churchill Downs early. We got into the facility before they opened the gates. And I don't know, there were maybe 15 of us, 20 of us, and we got, in, we got into the infield at Churchill Downs, and it was like, wow, and, you know, there are the spires, and, wow, look at this. And... And I don't know why, but we just kind of started walking around somewhat aimlessly. We were there early, so we had time to kill. So we're just walking around the infield, just kind of, wow, look at this place. There's not a lot of people, you know, the gates haven't opened. It's really quiet. We're just walking and walking. And, and, and as it turns out, we didn't know where we were going, but guess what we did? We walked into the Winner's Circle at Churchill Downs. And then I remember, wow, look where we are. This is the winter circle. In fact, to this day, you know, sometimes I'm in situations where you get that kind of introductory mixer question where they ask you, tell us something interesting that's happened to you. And one of my go-to answers with that question is always, well, on the day of the Kentucky Derby, I once stood in the winter circle at Churchill Downs. Of course, that's not the entirety of the story because the truth is we were in there maybe all of 90 seconds and a security guard came by and noticed us. He firmly but politely said, you need to get out. You're not supposed to be here. Why not? We didn't have access to the Winter Circle. Now, by contrast, some of you are going to go to work tomorrow and maybe the facility where you work has a level of security that requires you to swipe in. So you've got an ID card, you've got a badge, you pull it out, you swipe it in, and that gives you access. Interestingly, the language Paul uses here, I think, really communicates the idea of, of having access into a position of privilege. And so what Paul was saying is, look, you have become a follower of Jesus by faith. And now, now you have access. Now something has changed. And in a real sense, as Paul is talking about what has changed, notice two key terms here. Notice, first of all, he says, right, you have received by faith. What have you received? Uh, Peace with God. Now, just think about that for a moment. And this, to be honest with you, can be a little unsettling because what does the term peace with God imply? Well, to be honest with you, it, what I think he's implying here is he's implying there has been conflict. There has been war. But now there is peace. And, and the underlying thesis that sits right below the surface of this text is the reality that, in a real sense, before we became followers of Jesus, for those of us who know him, we were at war with God. We may not like to think in those terms or use that language, but our our sin has been an act of rebellion. But now, through Christ, that, that... relationship has been restored so that we now have peace. So, so he says, look, you've been justified by faith, and now you, you have peace with God. And likewise, by faith, you have, you have gained access, entrance into his grace, his ongoing goodness. Now, pay attention to the wording here because this is a place where I think we sometimes kind of mess up in understanding God's grace. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes, here's the way we think about God's grace. We think about God's grace as grace is what gets us over the line, right? And we always come back to what Paul says in Ephesians, which is absolutely true. We are saved by grace. And and sometimes it almost feels like in church circles, the idea is, well, grace is the message that non-Christians need to hear. Right? That's, that's, that's how you become a follower of Jesus. That's when you need to go know grace. Grace is just what gets you over the line. But notice Paul doesn't talk about grace that way here. What does he say? You gained access by faith into what? This grace in which we now stand. Now just just let that sink in. To be a follower of Jesus is to stand in God's grace. Just let your mind kind of grab hold of that. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are standing. In God's grace, and, and what I think, what I think, among other things, Paul is emphasizing here. He's, he's saying, "Look, is to be a follower of Jesus involves a change in relationship. That is, you." You now stand in this new relationship with God where peace has been restored. Even if you didn't realize that you were at war with him, but now the peace has been restored. Furthermore, not only has the peace been restored, but you're now intended to stand in the on-flowing outpouring of his grace, his goodness, which he intends to be at work in your life. And I think that's very relational, right? It's not like, hey, grace is something you got in the mail. No, God's grace <laughs> brings you into a new relationship. And as you, as you look at this passage, again, notice, notice those two kind of key themes, those themes of grace and peace. If you read all of Paul's letters, I think it becomes absolutely critical to Paul that we understand these themes. As proof of that, think about how Paul normally, frequently opens his letters. Remember, in the ancient world, the standard way to open a letter would just be to say greeting. Paul doesn't do that. Paul has longer letter openings, and a phrase he frequently uses is what? Grace to you and why does he do that well think about what Paul typically does in his letters Paul typically he, right he's, he's addressing problems going on in these different churches he's kind of giving them further instruction at times he's encouraging at times he's being really direct and correcting and challenging them and helping them work through hard conflict and difficulty the messiness of church But by starting with grace and peace to you, Paul in essence is saying, look, everything I'm about to say needs to be framed in the context of this relationship. Everything I'm about to say needs to be framed in the reality that you have been brought into this relationship with God, that the peace has replaced the enmity and the rebellion. and now you are designed intended to live in the ongoing flow of his grace so paul always says here's my prayer grace and peace to you that's the relationship you're now in that's the relationship that now defines who you are. And can I suggest, I think for some of us here, this this is a message we really need to hear. That through Christ, we have been brought into a new relationship with God and we now stand in grace. And you need to hear that. Some of us, I think, really need to hear that this morning. We need to hear that this is who we are. This is where we stand in this new relationship. We need to hear this because for some of us, the truth is we've kind of gotten stuck over here. We've kind of gotten stuck in what you might call a performance narrative. We've gotten stuck kind of just with underlying thoughts that, you know what, my life is really about what I do, what I achieve, the next promotion, how much I make. It's my life really comes back to what I am able to do. And the truth is, when when you find yourself living here, over time it can become really weighty. It can become heavy. Because it it feels like you're only as good as your last achievement. (laughs) You're only as good as the last sale, the last project, the last accomplishment. Some of you, your students, you're students, you're getting ready to go back to school and, you know, maybe there's a bit of excitement. I know you've really enjoyed summer. Maybe there's a, there's a bit of excitement about going back, but maybe there's also a certain weightiness. Right? Because you feel like you kind of have to keep up. You want to be part of certain groups. What do people think about me? You do feel maybe in your household, this pressure of, you know, I need to do well, and I've got to make sure I'm getting ready for the next step, whatever that looks like. And that that could be a weight. And parents, this is maybe just a good time to remind you that sometimes our kids are carrying that weight and they're carrying a level of anxiety which we don't fully see, appreciate, or understand. And I say that as a dad who looking back at times missed those signals. So maybe even the start of the school year is just a good time to have a conversation. Hey, how are you doing? What are you excited about? What what's kind of what's the hard part of going back? Or what what you know, what are you concerned about? Anything that's really bothering you as you start the new year? I mean, I think for us as parents, we we need to be open to having those conversations and listening because at all ages we can get stuck. Here and just it's just what I do. And and Paul in letter after letter, as well as other New Testament writers, wants us to see no, you've been you've been brought into this new relationship that now defines you. And it is a relationship where God's grace is to be at work. So I think Paul is clear. He wants us. He wants us to see that God's grace moves us into a new relationship, not based on our performance, our achievement. In fact, let me just go a little farther in Romans 5. He really says this explicitly, right? Very, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Do you hear that? Some of you just need to spend some time with this passage, maybe even this week. Just to acknowledge I have been brought into a relationship by God's grace, into a relationship not based on my achievement. And I receive it as a gift. So Paul is very intentional, I think, in highlighting the fact that we've been brought into relationship by the work of God's grace. As John Barclay, who's done some really important work on grace, has stated, what grace conveys is not a thing but a person. It establishes a relationship where the gift cannot be separated from the person who gave it. Grace is not an object passed from Christ to believers or a quality infused into them. It is first and foremost a transformative relationship with the giver. That's the work. That's the work of God's grace. So I, as a recipient of God's grace, I'm not only experiencing this radical work that gets to the heart of my need, I'm being brought into a new relationship that now defines who I am. Now, having said that, I realize it's one thing, it's one thing to talk about this abstractly and conceptually. It's another thing to really live it practically. It's another thing to live it out. And, and so what I want to do, just in a few minutes, I just want to kind of see your thinking about one important dimension of living this out. Right? It's like, okay, George, I've, I've heard this forever and ever. God's grace, my identity in Christ. I, I get it, but sometimes that just feels like a thought. And that's it. As you think about what this looks like practically, let me just give you a simple Truth to wrestle with. And that is this. To live in this relationship of grace, I have to live it out with others. To live in it, I have to live it out. And you see, as it turns out, when we read the New Testament, we realize, okay, when God moves us into this new relationship with himself, by grace this doesn't simply change my relationship with God. It kind of brings me into relationships with other followers of Jesus. Now, I may ignore that. I may blow it off. But that's God's design. That's God's intent. And it turns out and living this way, one of the ways God's grace works, right? And living this way, one of the ongoing avenues of God's grace in my life and your life is the lives of other people. To show you what I mean, let me, let me just take you to very quickly to two other, a couple of other passages of Scripture. First of all, let's look at 1 Peter 4.10. Now, some of you may know this. Uh, several different passages in the New Testament talk about what are sometimes referred to as spiritual gifts, right? Ways that God empowers us to serve. And what you may not realize is as the different New Testament authors talk about kind of gifting and service, it is connected to the idea of God's grace. So here in parentheses, I've added two Greek terms for you, right? So Peter says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So here, quick Greek lesson. So the standard word in Greek for grace is charis. And you can take that word and you can add a suffix right at the end. And when you take charis and add the suffix at the end, what you get is the idea that's often translated gift. And so notice, notice what Peter is in essence saying here. Right? He's saying, look, you need, you need to learn how to kind of build into the lives of one another. You need to learn how to serve one another with the gifts God has given you. And the implication is those gifts are really particular manifestations of God's In a similar way, look at this statement in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. There are different kinds of gifts, and there's that same word charisma, uh, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, and, and everyone is the same God at work. Now, one of the things Paul can use in Corinthians is he uses the image of a body to say, you know, he's he's, he's like, you know what? A church is to be like a body, different parts and different parts making contributions. But in both of these passages, an underlying assumption is this. Look, you've been brought into this new relationship with God by God's grace. But that, that grace that is work in you is intended to kind of flow through you into the lives of other people. So that the church is to be a place, even in our imperfection and our messiness, where we are giving and receiving grace. And that's part of what it looks like to live in this grace in which we now stand. To live in it, you gotta live it out. Now, with that in mind, a couple of just very foundational observations. The first observation is I'm not to do this by myself. And I hope that's an encouragement for you. You see, one of the implications of these texts. Is that people are gifted in different ways. And God's grace is at work in our lives in different ways. And what that means is we need other people in our lives. You're not designed to do this alone. And again, here's, here's a place where people can get stuck, right? I think sometimes, I think people sometimes get stuck this way. It's like, okay. I become a follower of Jesus, and I get, you know, I'm supposed to live in God's grace. But it just doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem practical. But maybe part of the issue is, I'm really trying to do this by myself. I haven't really gotten connected. haven't really gotten involved in the lives of other people or allowed them to get involved in my life. Maybe the busyness of my schedule, whatever. And I get all that. But in reality, it's kind of like I'm not really standing here. I'm standing back here, and I'm wondering, why is God's grace not real to me? And for some people, I just want to say, look, this, this, is, this, is, this is what the Bible says, how God's design works. To live in God's grace is to live it out. Now, having said that, look, I realize how, trust me, trust me on this. I realize how messy church can be, okay? And I get at times you're like, yeah, we need to be in relationships, but at times those are disappointing. They can be painful and hard, and that's true at any church even here. Yeah, sometimes I think you will discover, sometimes even in the messiness of what that can look like, There are ways in which God's grace is stretching and developing and even working in us and through us. So I need to understand, man, if I really want to live in God's grace, I can't do this by myself. And some of you need to hear that this morning as a real encouragement. Maybe there are different ways in which you feel stuck in your life and you feel like you're trying to figure it out on your own, but maybe it's God's intent that you not do it on your own. So one of the things I need to understand here is I'm not to do this by myself. Furthermore, not only do I need to understand I'm not to do this by myself, I think I also need to understand I've got a contribution to make. I mean, one of the implications of all of this imagery and these different passages is, right, I mean, the New Testament writers envision church-Christian relationships as it's the giving and receiving of grace. And each of us, in our own way, have ways in which we can do that in the context of relationships. That's, that's the expectation. That This is, this is God's design. I mentioned a moment ago, you know, you read uh, 1 Corinthians. At one point, Paul uses the image of the church as a body, right? The church is like a body, different parts. What's fascinating is in the ancient world, he is not unique in using that image. It's an image you will often find in political writing, in political discourse. But here's what's fascinating. Often in those political examples, right, where authors or speakers or leaders are saying, the city is like a body. Often in those examples, the purpose is this. The purpose is to maintain the hierarchy. The purpose is to, in essence, say, hey, the city's like a body, and if you're a big toe, sorry, you're a big toe. You're always going to end up at the bottom. And that was the message communicated. And interestingly, Paul takes, Paul takes this, this popular corporate image, and, and it's like he turns it on its head because you get to the end of his description of the church as a body, and what does he say? You know what? The head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And, and this had, I think, for some in the Corinthian church, be shocking to hear, because this isn't just the way, you just didn't talk about corporate imagery like this, but Paul is saying, look, each of us, each of us have a contribution to make. So, I'm not to do this by myself, and I have a contribution to make. Now, with that in mind, let me, can I just give you a couple of positive next steps? And I think maybe the first one really applies to all of us. And I think, I think just a really simple step in kind of learning and kind of embracing, okay, As I live in grace, I'm to live it out in the lives of others. I think just a simple thing is just watch your speech. Watch your speech. Watch how you engage people. Watch what you say online. Watch how you respond to certain people. Look at this passage from... This familiar passage from Ephesians 4, right? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let me give you a more, little trans, a more literal translation because what, what it, a more literal translation is this, that it may give grace. In other words, part of living this way is just in my speech. Seeking to be an agent of grace. And that can be simple things. That can be as simple as, you know, when I'm in a conversation, be fully present. I don't need to look at my phone and talk to you, too. It can be things like just really trying to listen. It can be things like, hey, following up with someone. They mentioned this issue, this big thing coming up, positively or negatively. Just Hey, be the person that checks in. Hey, how are you doing? In our group environments, it's just the way we kind of encourage one another and pray for one another. But but, but one of the simplest ways we kind of live out grace is through our speech. Okay, two other potential next steps. We've been talking about next steps the last couple of weeks. Let me just kind of build on what uh, Amy and others have been talking about. I think even as you think about Just speech, which really applies to all of us, I think for some of us, a next step is just get connected. We've highlighted different ways for you to get connected in the life of our church. Of course, we've got a welcome party coming up next week, and maybe if you'd just like to find out more, more things in general, you're newer to the church, this is a great place to start. We also have coming up in September our starter night where you can kind of learn more specifically about our Live, Love, Lead groups, our small groups. And, and can I just encourage you, it, it's just so strategic, so important to really be a part of the church to, to get connected in some kind of group environment. I like to think of it this way. You need to be connected someplace where you see the front of a person, <laughs> not the back of their head, Right? You need to be connected someplace where you're missed if you're not there. And so maybe a next step for you is is kind of figuring out how to be part of a group. And I realize sometimes we would say, well, I tried that before. It it didn't work out. And and you know what? That happens. Again, just, just because this is God's plan and God's design doesn't mean it works out every time. But... But, you know, when it does, it's just great to see the way God's grace is flowing. I was talking to someone recently who's in one of our newer small groups, one of our newer Live Love Lead groups, and here's the way she described the experience. She said, I have now found my tribe. I found my people. And I heard that, and just kind of the way she was describing it, and, you know, and what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about what what Paul describes as... It's this lifestyle of grace that we've been brought into this new relationship with God and, and in living in this new relationship with God, we are to live it out in the lives of other people. Giving and receiving grace. So second thing, maybe for you, is get connected. And, and the third thing, and some of, many of you are already doing this, but just be open to Serve. I realize, again, we're we're at different stages of life, different responsibilities, so this is going to look differently in each of our lives. But, you know, when you kind of take what the New Testament says seriously and this idea that grace is really to be at work in me and through me, I think that means we've, we've got to be open to service. And at some point, you've got to just be willing to, to try it out. And I realize sometimes I have conversations with people about things like spiritual gifts and what does that look like. And, you know, one of kind of my basic suggestions to people is, well, Just begin exploring certain things. Because sometimes it's in the process of that exploration that we really kind of understand maybe ways God has wired us to be involved in the lives of other people. So, here's what I want you to see. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been been brought into this new relationship. Relationship that changes everything. but to really live in it. You also need to live it out. And with that in mind, we're now going to come to a time of communion. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to kind of lead us up to that time and pray. And then after I pray you'll notice that there are tables throughout the room that have the elements. And I'm going to ask one or two people in each of the sections to come in and come down to the table in front of you and just to serve the people in your section, right? Just as a reminder that we are in this together. And as we come to this time, can I just remind you, let just... Can this just be a moment of reflection for you? Whatever is going on in your life, can this just be a moment of reflection to you? That God has invited us into his grace. Maybe you're here and you have yet to really start the journey of following Jesus. Maybe you're joining us online and you have yet to start this journey of following Jesus. and, And when Paul talks about grace, he wants you to hear this is an invitation to you to be brought into this new relationship. And likewise, for those of us who have already become followers of Jesus, we just, just kind of come back to the truth and reflect for a moment that I've been brought into this new relationship based on the work of God's grace and it's his intention for me to now stand in that grace. And part of what that means is allowing his grace to work in me and through me. So maybe now, even as we come to communion, to just let this be a moment where you just just acknowledge before God, Father, thank you for the wonder of your grace. Some of us, maybe we just need to set aside, forgive me for the ways in which I've kind of gotten stuck in a performance narrative. Thank you for the freedom, the forgiveness, the newness of life that I now have in you. And Father, as I seek to stand in that grace, would you just open my eyes to ways in which I can allow your grace to flow through me, into my family, into my community, into my Live, Love, Lead group. Would you just be open to that? So with that in mind, I'm going to lead us in prayer that our worship team is going to lead us as we celebrate the gift of Christ and his grace. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to take this together. So Father, we thank you for the reality of your grace. We thank you that it brings us into a new relationship. And in bringing us into a new relationship with you, it also brings us into a new relationship with one another. So I pray that we would just grab hold of that truth this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's come to the table.